a a series that uh, and of course as soon as I said that Siri tried to think I'm talking to her I'm not talking to you but um, you gotta love technology the this particular set of sermons that'll keep our digital friend from timing trying to chime in this morning uh, are are things that we as as Christians face and we deal with on a daily basis but have often not been the the subject matter that the church chooses to to share and to talk about and, and a lot of times it's because it makes us uncomfortable or or I'll just be fair it makes the preacher uncomfortable because there, there are certain subjects that if you talk about it you know it it comes off wrong because of the position you're standing in uh, in, in other ways it, it's uncomfortable for the pastor because you you can't talk about it without feeling like you're you know disclosing some of your personal life a little too much so I, I want you to understand that if you get uncomfortable at any point during this series I'm more uncomfortable than you Okay, this is like having the talk with your 12-year-old son. It's not comfortable. To be fair, we started having that talk at age 10 because of the age in which we live. Now, we're going to ease our way in with an uncomfortable, untouchable subject. And the reason I call these the untouchables is I hardly ever heard them preached about when I was growing up in church. There were certain things that pastors just kind of stayed away from. And if you did hear it, you heard it once and they just let it go. And, or you heard it once and then they let the preacher go. So hopefully that's not the path we're on this morning. Uh, but but the, the, the other thing I want us to understand is, is this is not a criticism uh, of pastors and preachers that came before. The, this is just that next step in connection with my generation connecting with the generation ahead of me and the generation that's coming behind me, helping to fill in the blanks because the society that I faced as a teenager was different than my pastors who grew up in the 50s and 60s. It was different. And the society my kids are growing up in is radically different than what I grew up in. And if the church doesn't start to acknowledge that the world has gotten darker and the devil is still doing what he's done since the garden, he's just got a lot better tools to do it with. If we don't start to meet that front, then we're going to continue to see the church decline in influence and the presence of Christ in our children's lives will diminish to a point of insignificance. And that's a scary place for me to be as a parent. So I, I'm willing to get uncomfortable for the sake of my children. The, the word that, that God gave to Nehemiah is fight for your families. Fight for your families. And, and that's what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at some of the issues we face in our world through a biblical perspective so that we better know how to fight for our families. Okay, and, and I should have called the series that, Fighting for Our Families, because it sounds a whole lot less risky as uh, instead of the untouchables. But 
I wanted to get your attention with the untouchables because there, there were certain subjects growing up in church that you could not touch. And, and one of them we're going to hit today is you could touch it, but don't touch it very much. And, and you can touch everybody else's, but don't touch mine. It's kind of the object we're looking at, and that's a, a clue to it. But most churches don't talk about the untouchable subject of money. You talk about money, and, and there's reasons we don't talk about money from the pulpit. Okay? It always, without fail, will start a fight for somebody. How many times have you talked to your spouse about money without starting a fight? How many times have you talked with your children about money without starting a fight? Because I'm telling you, that toy at Walmart, they, uh, they have the money, they did their chores. That's the best toy in the whole wide world. They need to spend their money on it, Mom. And that's how the fight in Walmart began. You know? What? But honey, I need this pickup. This pickup will carry hay better than my current pickup. But honey, we don't have that kind of... That's how the fight began. But honey, it's another pair of shoes. These shoes will look good with that dress. And only that dress. Okay, that, that's not a fair one. We're, we're gonna, see, we have started the fights already. You talk about money and it offends somebody. I'm telling you, I have been in churches where if the pastor were to say anything about money, immediately this posture comes out and this face. How dare you talk about money? And, and what's really great is that particular person in the room typically says it wasn't really talked about in the Bible. And we'll get to that here in a minute. It'll shock you. Because that, that, that leads us to the next point is is money is one of the subjects that has misunderstood scriptural significance. There, there is, God cares about your money. There's, there's people that won't be comfortable with that statement. I don't care. It's what the Bible says. We can all be uncomfortable together. Uh, the TV preacher effect. This is the one that keeps pastors from talking about it because the, what's the preacher on TV almost always ask you for? Your money. You know, here's a, here's a number or here's the website. You know, we need your money. We need your money. And I used to make the joke, send me money for my gold chair. You'll only get that if you watch the really old TBN with the big hair and everything on the stage was like golden. And yeah, I, I really struggled with those people for a long time. And until so I finally just started listening to some of what they said instead of watching them. And there's people that sing that I can't watch them sing. Just this aside, rabbit, I'm going to chase for just a second. Anybody ever seen somebody that the whole time they're singing, it looks like they're in terrible pain, but they have a beautiful voice? You know, I can do this. And some of them, America's Got Talent's got a few of those this year. Amazing voices, but they look like someone's stabbing them in the back with an ice pick. So the other thing is preachers feel guilty about talking about money because the economy is either going really good and it seems irrelevant or the economy is going really bad and you feel guilty because people are struggling, people are hurting and you're up there talking about money. 
I'm being open and honest and real. That this is a lot of why some of these subjects are untouchable in church. And the last thing is money is stressful, especially when you don't have a lot of it. We're in the middle of really high inflation. Times are stressful. They really are. Back school shopping was a nightmare. And I'm just trying to avoid the front row over here because I don't know what's going on. I just see something and there's a giggle. We'll see what time Nothing broke. <laughs> nothing broke. Nothing broke. Nothing that's, broke. That, that's always the best news when you hear a crash in the house. Nothing broke. Here's what we need to understand is Jesus used money more than any other illustration in teaching in 11 of 39 parables. And, I, and I, I'm not trying to mislead you. There are preachers who have misused that statistic and said that 11 of 39 parables were about money. They weren't about money. Jesus used money because it's something everyone's familiar with to teach concepts that they weren't familiar with. I'm not saying that all 11 of those parables are God telling you how to use your money. 11 of 39 parables are using money to teach you about the kingdom of heaven. It's completely different things, but still putting the relevance of how important money is for us as Christians. And I'm, I'm telling you that if you begin to understand Jesus' teaching is not about, he's not overly concerned about what Jim does with his money. Okay, he's, a, he's concerned about Jim's heart behind what he does with his money or what Scott does with his money. He's worried about Scott's heart with his money. Okay, when you go to watching the teaching of Jesus with money, very rarely is it about the actual money itself. And, and this is something that we as Christians need to understand that, A, God does care about your money, but he cares more about the heart behind your money, the motivation behind your money. If money is the motivation, my Fast and Furious fans just had a song kick off in their head. If you didn't, you haven't seen the movie, it's okay. <clears throat> That's how my brain works. It has movie soundtracks, movies, memes, all kinds of dumb references that if my brain were projected out here, you'd think I was schizophrenic. But if money is your motivation, then you miss the mark. Jesus revealed the kingdom of heaven using money and often the motives behind the money were the examples. And Denise shared one in children's time. The the woman lost a silver coin, very valuable piece of money. That was actually the equivalent of three months' salary. So take three months of your salary and lose it. How many of you are going to rip the house apart to find it? Okay, I misplaced my wallet earlier in the week. I ripped my classroom apart. I ripped our bedroom apart. I ripped the living room apart. And lo and behold, it was under my driver's seat where I tuck it when I'm in a hurry to get to practice. But how important was it and how excited was I when I found the wallet? Jesus took that practical example and showed us how excited that the entirety of heaven is for one soul that's found. 
one lost person who was found or one person who was lost in their sin and Jesus saved them from their sins. Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, for where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A lot of people look at that scripture and they're thinking, man, that, that's pretty hard. Because how many of you guys have a, truck, uh, a tractor or a work truck or you know, any kind of farming implement you still use that has a little rust on it? Everybody's like, man, I don't want to admit that. Hey, I'll be fair to you. I have a, a favorite car of mine that I'm trying to make room for so I can bring it in and restore it. It has rust on it. I didn't do anything to rust my Volkswagen out, but it has rust. Xavier's bicycle has rust. <clears throat> my golf cart doesn't have rust, but it's missing some pieces. We, we spend a lot of our our time and our money and our efforts on things of this world that aren't going to last. You know, the, the toy in Walmart, the reason mom's trying to talk people out of buying that toy is it's cheap. It's plastic. And you're really only going to enjoy it for about two days and then you're going to move on to the next thing because you're a kid. We adults are the same way. We, we may enjoy it a few more than a few days and then we complain about having to store it. And then we forget where we stored it. And then when we finally find it, it's like, oh, it's a new toy again. And, and we start the cycle over and over and over. But where your treasure is, your heart will be also. How many of you, the closer you get to vacation, the more you start longing to be on vacation? You know, there, there's people that say you should not start countdowns to things because it makes you miss out on the things right in front of you. But every year when I start school, I count the days till school's out. I'm just one of those people. I, I like to know what's coming. I'm wired wrong. But I also, and teachers get this, we invest more than, than what we're allowed to into our classrooms. You know, the, the reality behind teachers in August, and that's another reason it was hard to preach this in August, because I have teacher friends I know that go take a personal loan every August just to get through the month. And that, that, that's not a political jab right here. That, that's the reality to show you that, that the heart of some people gets ahead of their budget. And this is not gonna turn into a Dave Ramsey financial conference. Uh, if, if you want to do one of those, let's get it going because I probably need it as much as anybody. But Jesus goes on in that same teaching to, to issue a stark warning to the people he's teaching to. It says, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and serve money. And it's like, whoo, 
Woo, preacher, this is why pastors don't talk about this. This is a slap in the face, like, wake up, Christian. Wake up and smell the coffee. Because at the end of the day, God is reaching out and talking to you and saying, I've given you, I'm giving you all this money or what little money you have, and I'm asking you to be faithful with it. You go back to the parable of the talents. A lot of people try and talk about that being, you know, the gifting that God's given you in your life. That's a great story. But the reality is that's a story of investment. Are you taking the resources God has put in your hands and investing them properly so that they do something good? And the, there'll be a lot of preachers that'll come at me after that one and, and say, no, it's a spiritual sense. Sometimes it actually is what it is. Go read the... Go read the Greek. But you can't serve God and money. Now, you can serve God with your money, but you can't serve your money and be claiming that oh, I'm sold out, I'm really serving God. It doesn't work that way. Money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. Anybody ever felt like you were slave to your money? I'll raise my hand. I'll be the brave one. Because sometimes by the end of the month, me and the banking app become really good friends. And we watch each other really closely because I know where the line is as long as I'm checking the line. And I don't want to live near the line, but there's been times recently I've looked at the line and and I thought, oh, Lord, we're approaching critical mass. You know, we, we're about to hit the wall. And then God reminds me, do you serve money or do you serve me? And, and it's hard to get on your knees before God and say, I'm sorry, I blew that. And it's even harder when you go check the mailbox and there's something there that shouldn't be. God says, hey, remember who you serve. Remember who you serve. I didn't call you to be rich. I called you to be faithful. That doesn't preach well on TV either, just by the way. Uh, that, that doesn't preach well at all on TV because if God called the minister who has the private jet and everything else to, to be faithful and not to, to be rich, and I'm not saying God has anything against rich people. I think God wants to bless you, but God also is going to keep you at a level that you can handle if God made me rich, I'd look really stupid. I'm just telling you, I'm one of those people, God will not make me rich because I will look stupid. I would give so much away that I'd go bankrupt trying to do good instead of stewarding that money where it could be a blessing to generations. One generation would get touched. But Jesus goes on and to get to the heart of the message today, he gives us accounts of two rich guys. And I'll repeat it again so that nobody thinks I'm hammering on the rich. I'm not one of those people. Uh, rich people, a lot of them are really good people. Uh, I know some extremely wealthy people that love Jesus with all their heart and are doing things the right way. So this is not a going after the rich. This is... A, a reminder to us as Christians 
that, that money is just a tool and to keep our priorities in line. The, the two rich guys, these were guys who were extremely wealthy. The, the first one is in Mark chapter 10, and that's a lot bigger up there than it is here. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? And to give you the backstory, he's, he's with his disciples, he's teaching, and, and this young man comes up to him. The King James calls him a rich young ruler, which, you know, <clears throat> being rich, that's a great identifier. Being young, man, to be rich and to be young, I wonder how he came into his wealth. And thirdly, he was a ruler, which meant he had authority. He comes and, and he says to Jesus, what must I do to receive salvation? And he called him good teacher. And, and Jesus' reply is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not fair false, bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and I will give you treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And the best way I, I ever heard this phrase, I want to say it was D.L. Moody that said it. He said, this young man was possessed by his possessions. He didn't have his possessions. His possessions had him. He did everything right. He had that checklist. And this is where I'll, I'll speak really, really to the guys for just a beat. We, we have that list of things that we check off. You know, yep, I went to Sunday school, went to church, I read my Bible for X amount of minutes, I, I prayed for X amount of minutes, and, and I, you know, I, I gave a little money in the offering plate, check that list too. We, we like to check all those boxes, but we struggle as men, and, and this young man was no different when the Word of God challenges us to go farther, to, to be humble enough to take that next step. And oftentimes that next step is scary and uncomfortable. Imagine Jesus coming to you and saying, sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. We, we like to criticize this, this guy right here because he was a young man and he was wealthy and came into all that wealth. And, and as a young man, I would like to think when I was younger that if Jesus had asked me that, yeah, no problem. But I don't know what it was to be wealthy as a young man. As a young college kid, I remember being broke. And I don't mean like kind of broke. I mean like we're digging in the couch for ramen money broke. Anybody else been there at college? I mean, college will teach you how to, to live broke. If we'd all learn to live that way the rest of our life, you just can't eat ramen past like age 23. Age 23, ramen has this swelling effect on the entire body. You know, 23 and under, you can eat ramen, it would swell and make you feel full and you're all right. 23 and above, it makes your whole body just start to swell and, and then you have other issues. The sodium content, you know, leads to a heart attack. But, um, okay, anyways, I'm chasing that rabbit too. 
But this guy was young and rich, and he hadn't known anything else. And Jesus is asking him, give all that up for following me. It may not be that Jesus is going to come to you and say, sell everything. But what if Jesus comes to you and says, hey, here's what the condition of your heart is. There, there's this one thing you lack. Are you willing to give that up and follow me? Now, I'm not going to sit here and try and list off what that one thing would be because we could be here a long time trying to narrow it down to one thing. That's where the Bible talks about you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm telling you, that young man was probably afraid and trembling at the thought of selling all he had. But there's another version of this story. And I didn't blow it up very big, I'm sorry. A man named Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, or whatever ever funny pronunciation you want to put on a really funny name. We've all sang it since we were little that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, which every time I hear wee little man, I think Zacchaeus was a leprechaun. Because <laughs> that's the only people that talk about wee people is the Irish. But okay, anyway, we, we won't go that stretch today, but the wee little man was he. But Zacchaeus, when Jesus comes and he calls him out from... He's sitting up in a tree just to get a view of him. Jesus walks by and says, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. Before Zacchaeus would even allow Jesus into his house, he recognized who he was. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, behold, the half of my goods, half of everything I own, I'm going to give it away to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Four times as much for any time I rip somebody off. You, you look at this and you see the, the heart condition of the rich young man versus the heart of, of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus looked at, at who he was and recognized that, you know, I still lack something to be able to really follow you, Jesus, and I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to go make right the wrong in my life. And Jesus' reply is, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus never openly rebuked Zacchaeus about money. And that's where some people get the philosophy of that's an untouchable subject, because Jesus didn't even rebuke Zacchaeus. He sure rebuked the rich young ruler. The only way that anything we talk about in the next few weeks is really untouchable is if you've made it that way in your relationship with God. God, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to hear about money because I know I'm messing it up. Because my heart's in the wrong place with money. I love, I love going to my job and I dread coming home because I don't feel like a good husband and a good father, but I feel like I'm getting a, a sense of completion at work because I'm doing the job well. I'm making the money. That's a reality some people live in. And it's not just guys. 
the majority of women I'm looking at out here go into the workforce and, and you do find a sense of completion and satisfaction in your work and there's nothing wrong with that. But where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I can't wait for that last whistle and that last breakdown at practice. Because I get to go home. I get to go home. Not just I get to take the bacon home and we all love bacon. If you don't, you need to repent. No. I get to go home. I get to go home where my treasure is. Those five precious children that drive me up the wall. But I get to go home to them. I get to go home to their mother who the, the Bible is still teaching me over and over about laying my life down for her like Jesus does the church. That doesn't just mean go spend hours and hours at a job. Sometimes it means leaving the job at the job and coming home to her and being present with her and listening to the bajillion kindergarten stories. First grade had some stories, but kindergarten, I mean, we're going to fill the back room with novels of kindergarten stories. But I get to hear those, and I get to see the excitement of God using her in her gifting. I get to be her sounding board when she's not happy about something. Occasionally her punching, no, not really. No, she doesn't hit me anymore. (laughs) She's not in here, so I'll say it just to be fun. She hit me one time and I deserved it. I didn't know she was claustrophobic and I backed her into a corner. And, you know, that 80s movie says nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody puts Denise in a corner. She's claustrophobic and fear is a powerful instinct with adrenaline. Uh, My friend had to tell me what happened because I couldn't see it. It all happened behind me. She jumped up with a hammer fist coming down right at the base of my skull, knocked me out. I mean, it would have made Ronda Rousey proud. And when I picked myself up off the floor, I knew two things. I said, what a woman. And, <laughs> and, and two, I was never, ever, ever going to try and back her into a corner ever again. But your money is a matter of your heart. And, and really, with, with all physical possessions, it's a matter of your heart. I know there's things we have to have for work, and there's things that we're going to buy to have fun. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I have fun. I have a lot of fun. I went to the movies last night. Now, 1960s preachers would have freaked out that I said that. You know, 90s people, not so much. The, you know, the next generation is like, yeah, big deal. We, we can stream like a million of those. It's a matter of the heart. Where are you investing your money? Leviticus, getting back to exactly what the Bible teaches us about money. And, and I found freedom in the simplicity of Scripture. There's a massive amount of freedom. In the Levitical law, it says every tithe of the land, which to put that in modern day English, every tithe of your income should be one, and tithe is one-tenth. One-tenth of the land or the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. 
Okay, and, and later references in scripture, it'll continually talk about the first fruits, meaning that that's the first thing you pay every month or every two weeks if you're one of those bi-weekly paycheck people or if you're one of those blessed people that gets a check every week. Every week, that's what you pay. One-tenth is what God requires. It's kind of contractual by God that if you'll give me one-tenth, if you'll be faithful to give me back one-tenth because I gave you everything you had anyway, I'll continue to bless you. And, and he goes on, and it's really interesting. Right before Jesus shows up is one of the last pieces of Scripture we get. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. But Proverbs, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. First fruits. If you give first and foremost back to God, he has a promise that he's going to bless you. Okay? Where it gets really exciting, though, is like I was leading up to, I forgot I'd thrown Proverbs in here. Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. This is one of the only times in Scripture where God openly accepts a challenge from his creation. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test or bring it on. Try me, test me, says the Lord of hosts and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. This is the one area you get to test and to try God. And I want you to understand when you hear these, this church ease phrase of tithe, that is the 10% of your income. Anything above that in church language is an offering where you're giving more than 10% because you're offering that to God. And guess what? That falls right there in Malachi of you're testing God. See if he won't bless you more than you're trying to bless him. And this is where people would check out thinking the TV preacher has showed up asking you for your money. I'll just tell you the, the blunt truth. God asked you for 10%. Nothing more. Anything above that's between you and him and it's an issue of your heart. The, the 10% is an issue of the heart bound in obedience. Anything above 10% is an issue of the heart bound in worship. I would repeat that a little louder for people in the back, but I want you to understand that, that paying your tithe is an act of obedience, which is worship. But when you go beyond what's required, it becomes worship. How many of you have employees that work for you? Children are included. Yeah, throw those hands up. It's okay. I have people that work for me. How many of you like somebody that works for you that does more than is required? I love them. You know what those people get in my business? Promoted. Now, I, I don't own a business anymore, but... When I helped run businesses, that's how you get promoted is by being willing to do more. Guess what? Scripturally with money, if you want 
more, you have to be willing to do more. This isn't giving men permission to work overtime. This is, are you being generous with what God's already given you? And the way to know generous from, from selfish is pretty easy. When, with your extra money, are you doing stuff about you or about other people? And, and we could spend a lot of time on this one subject. And if you want to know more, shoot me questions. I'll do my best to get your answers. I'm no guru. I'm no guru. Jeff's not here, so I can't ask him about the August loan. You know, that, that, that's, that's going to be a joke in our house from now on, even though it's really not a joke. It's going to be the joke for teachers in August is that we go get those personal loans. Because <laughs> I was just dumbfounded at my coworker that said, you know, yeah, I just had to go to the bank and get a loan. And I mean, she's been teaching one and a half of my lifetimes. And, and she said, oh, this is just what I do every year. I just expect it and I go do it. And I'm like, Dave Ramsey would have a cow. Dave would stroke out. And I'm just telling you, Dave Ramsey is, is a great teacher. There's a lot of times that I struggle with great teachers, but bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I want you to understand, if you struggle with getting anything out of the church that you're going to, make sure A, you're paying your tithe, and B, go a step above and give a little offering and see if you don't tune in a little more. And you know, C on that one, is find opportunities to serve your church. Ask for those opportunities. If, if you don't know what you can do, ask. That's the number one thing that pastors struggle with is they try to juggle too many plates when, honestly, they can hand some off. I'm very blessed. You guys don't ask me to juggle a lot of plates. Very, very blessed. And I, I see that and I appreciate it more than you know. So... This morning, the untouchable was money, which, you know, keep your hands off my money. <laughs> Whose slogan was that? That was, a, that was an anti-tax slogan back in the day. Anyways, I'll quit chasing rabbits this morning, but Lord, thank you for today.